welcome to the charvak podcast this is your host kushal mehra all right today's podcast well i planned this podcast with colin a while ago so i think it was on 9th of april colin wrote an opinion piece uh, in the wall street journal it was titled a biologist explains why sex is binary i reached out to colin and it was just a pure coincidence that we are discussing this on uh, on this specific date before someone accuses me and colin also doesn't know what i'm going to talk about so colin today there was a hearing on uh, this was the first day of hearing on same sex marriage in india and uh, the chief justice of india justice tandrachur made a very interesting remark and i'm going to read that quote it was just it was not a part of the order it was just an observation which has created kind of a furor on social media so the chief justice said the notion of biological man and biological woman is not absolute it is not a question of genitals the very notion of the special marriage act having quote man and quote woman is not restricted to genitals so it's just an off the cuff remark made by the chief justice of india the chief justice yeah. of the supreme court of india so let's start uh, with that yeah it's it's even weirder that it would be the argument would be used in the in in the context of same sex marriage because it's it's only ever used in like trans issues here in the US. I've never heard them say, you know, give the whole sex is a social construct thing. That's why we should be able to have gay marriage. Uh yeah, that, that's that's interesting. <laughs> that I'm, I'm sorry that our culture has uh spread <laughs> over to you guys. So it's it's an interesting case because just to give you a brief background, India legally recognizes three genders male female and what we like to call kinner i don't know what would be the exact english word for kinner some people say it's a uh eunuch some people say it's a hermaphrodite i don't know what the word is there is a debate on what the word would also be when it comes to something like this but to be even more specific as per uh um uh, i don't know if i was to use more more uh accurate indian explanations uh to to know to give the benefit of doubt to the supreme court uh, chief justice so there there was a bill called the transgender persons protection of rights bill 9, 2019 which was introduced in our parliament which is called the lok sabha uh, on july 19 2019 by the minister of social justice and empowerment and the definition of a transgender person as per indian law is the bill defines a transgender person as one whose gender does not match the gender assigned at birth it includes trans men and trans women persons with intersex variations gender queers and persons with socio cultural identities such as kinner and ejra intersex variations is defined to mean a person who at birth shows variation in his or her primary sexual characteristics external genitalia chromosomes or hormones from the normative standard of male or female body so you know so at least you get a perspective that how indian law looks into these things so because wow. uh, uh, so so i know today's podcast is titled dsds and uh, trans women in sport we'll get to that bit but i want to focus first on your opinion piece where you make an assertive case that uh, sex is binary and then the tagline was in an effort to confuse the issue gender ideologues cite rare rare ambiguous intersex cases so for the benefit of everyone what is an intersex person uh, in terms of a scientific meaning and then we can get into the binary uh, whether sex is binary or not Yeah, so an, an intersex person is someone who at least at birth uh has ambiguous sexual presentation whether that's because uh 
their genitals appear to be sort of uh, halfway between male or female, where the doctor has difficulty just saying that this is definitively male or female at a glance, or because they have sort of a mismatch between uh, what their chromosomal sex is and their their body's phenotypic sex, like how they look. So an example of the latter one would be uh, complete androgen insensitivity syndrome, where someone is biologically male on the inside, they have testes and other organs, um, but their bodies do not respond to androgens, testosterone. And so they they look just like a female, basically. Uh, and most of them don't even know that they aren't female until uh, they, they fail to have um, their periods when they when they should. So they usually go to the doctor and then they'll do like a uh, an ultrasound and discover that they have internal testes instead of the parts that women and girls are supposed to have. So uh, that's just sort of the broad definition of intersex conditions. You'll have activists who try to expand this definition as much as they possibly can to include any variation whatsoever of uh, of genital anatomy of chromosomes or or anything. Um, but this is it's it's a completely nonsensical definition because this would include people like Kleinfelter syndrome males who have an extra X chromosome, but are just no one would mistake them for a female. They're they're 100% biologically male. They can father offspring. Um, and there's other cases too like that with uh, intersex conditions. One is called like hypospadias, where it's the urethra doesn't quite close at the very tip of the male's penis. Sometimes it can be like slightly under the head, but otherwise they're completely, you know, anatomically 100% male looking. Activists want to include those people under the intersex umbrella, um, which doesn't make sense. So it's for it to make clinical sense, uh, a good definition would be to actually focus on sexual ambiguity, at least at first glance. Perfect. Then, then, what is the history of this uh, movement? Where, from what I understand, the in at least in the last 30, 40 years uh, in mainstream Western discourse, gender and sex were clearly defined. Gender was a spectrum, if I'm getting it right, and sex was binary, right? So what has changed now? What are the new arguments being made? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's still something I'm trying to piece together too. I'm, I'm remembering back, you know, in the late 2000s, early 2010s, and I remember very specifically being asked by friends and stuff to just make this distinguish, this distinction between someone's gender and someone's sex. And they said that, you know, the terms male and female, well, that refers to your biological sex. This is about biology and genitals. Um, but whether you're a man or a woman, that's the gender identity term. That's that's gender. Uh, and so we should make sure we keep those terms separate. And so at the time I was like, okay, that's fine. As long as we have a nice separation between how people identify and what people are in a objective sense, uh, biologically. Um, and then, so that, that lasted all but maybe a, a year or two before they started saying, no, actually we identify as males or females now. Actually, you can't even call us male or females. You need to call us, you know, assigned male at birth, um, giving it, you know, make it seem like it's a subjective thing a doctor does when, when a child is born, they have no idea. They're just sort of assigning it some social role or expectation, um, or have no clue what the sex is, just, you know, they're just sort of making it up almost like a the, the deciding hat or the placing hat in Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> so that's sort of where we are. And then 
there was like a series of of articles that came out in major scientific magazines, popular scientific magazines about the sex spectrum and there's five sexes and maybe there's an infinite number of sexes or maybe there's no sex at all. It's just a complete social construct. Um, and so that's where I'm mainly focused on right now is trying to set the record straight, at least about the biology at a fundamental level, because all the stuff we're seeing, the males and female sports, males and female prisons, all the gender medicine madness, when you trace it back to the origins, it all kind of rests on this claim that they're making about biological sex not really being real or nothing that you can quite pin down, you know, like it's just this, this complex cluster of traits and maybe you're a little bit more on, on one trait, but a little bit less or more on the other way on another trait. Um, but we can never say anything definitive about a person's sex. Uh, that's that's where the discourse is right now. <laughs> that's where I'm mainly trying to push back uh, just from, from a biological point of view. So, okay, let's now let's go one step further. What is the exact biological point of view? What does the biology state? Because even there, they see, they seem to say you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so there's actually a lot of confusion on both sides of the issue. There's the gender activists who want to say that sex is a social construct. Um, they'll try to undermine the sex binary by sort of painting this this fake picture of what biologists mean when we call when we say sex is binary um so for example when i say sex is binary what biologists mean when they talk about the sex binary uh is that there are only two sexes that's really in a nutshell what biologists are saying and this is because um your sex is related to the type of gamete you know sperm or ova the sex cell that you have the function of producing or would have the function of producing if, if everything was working correctly. Um, there's only two gametes. There's only sperm and ova. There has never in the history of evolution been a third gamete size that's uh, in between sperm or ova. Um, and so because there's only two gametes that a person could ever have the function of producing, there's only two sexes. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, an, an intersex person this is not an example of someone who just blows open the sex binary because if someone has ambiguous sex, that's not a third sex. That's just being sexually ambiguous. Uh, in the same way that an organism like a garden snail, these are true simultaneous hermaphrodites. They're both male and female at the same time. But being both male and female is also not a third sex. You're just both of the sexes in one body. Um, so we have the activists saying that the sex binary must mean something like every human who's ever existed can be unambiguously categorized as clearly male or clearly female. And if we can find one example where that breaks down, then sex isn't binary. Uh, and then you have people who are uh, sort of on closer to my side of things who want to want to make sure that sex categories are kept kept rigid and kept uh, uh, you know rooted in biology they'll sort of take that bait and say, yeah, every single human can be just categorized unequivocally as male or female. Now, part of my piece argues that we need to not take that activist bait because some individuals could be very sexually ambiguous. They could have, their gonads could be a mixture of, of ovarian and testicular tissue. They could have ambiguously presenting external features. You know, there there is, is at least conceivable that somebody could be genuinely sexually ambiguous in their presentation. Um, but the point, main point is that that doesn't undermine the sex binary at all. And 
you know, most of the issues we have in the country right now have to do with people who are 100% unambiguously biologically male identifying as the opposite sex, not intersex people. So activists want to bring in intersex people to this debate because they want you to confuse intersex people and transgender people, where if they can get you to sort of stumble your way through, you know, is this intersex person male or female? Is this, what about this condition? What about this one? If they can just sort of get you doing that makes you look really stupid, then they've taken your your attention away from the easy calls, like Leah Thomas, who's competing in the female swimming divisions, uh, Laurel Hubbard, who's this male powerlifter who's identifying as female. Like these aren't these aren't ambiguous intersex conditions that these people have. They're just one sex identifying as the other. Uh, so that's kind of in a nutshell what the biology is and sort of how uh, how it's relevant to the culture wars and how both sides kind of get it wrong. And I'm trying to do this middle ground that's just rooted in the biological reality because that needs to be what we get right first. And then we can all talk about, well, what do we do with those facts? Then then where does gender come in all of this? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I've been asking this whole time. Like, I, I don't care about the whole gender thing. Like, I care about sex. It's, I only got up out of my, my workbench in the lab and <laughs> went into the streets when people started conflating sex with your gender identity. So gender is probably one of the most confusing terms I think we have right now in, in society because everyone seems to have a different definition of it. We, if you talk about like the conservative right-wing people in the U.S., and probably most people actually, when you talk about gender, they use it as a synonym for your sex. You know, when you're filling out a form uh, for a job and it asks for gender, it usually just has male and female there. Uh, and those aren't genders, those are sexes. Um, but then you have sort of feminist definitions of gender, which is like the the socially constructed norms and uh, roles that you know society expects you to perform based on your sex, uh, or at least on your perceived sex. And then you have another sort of activist definition that is talking about how these are it's an internal sense of of who you are in terms of whether you're a man or a woman in terms of masculinity or femininity, how you identify with these social roles and stereotypes. Um, you know, I think there can be some useful information and, and interesting sort of insight you can get from looking at the way that societies sort of pressure individuals into certain roles based on their sex. I think that's an interesting thing and definitely happens. Um, but that's completely distinct from your sex. Um, you know, sex is first and socialization and being pressured into roles, you know, that's secondary. So we need, we need to just need to keep, keep the line between these two concepts uh, as, as clear and uh, uh, as possible. Um, just so we can, you know, because in some contexts, your sex really does matter. Um, maybe socially, your degree of masculinity or femininity might matter in, in some contexts and social contexts. But, you know, some contexts like sports and what prison you go to, uh, that should be rooted in your in your biology rather than your your psychology. That's exactly what I was going to point at because now we can segue perfectly into this whole uh, sport problem because sport is a very peculiar, as they say, blind spot for this entire uh, conundrum where, and that too, not all sports, certain sports, even more so like, okay, I'm a mixed martial arts fan. I don't know about you, Colin. I don't remember you being a mixed martial arts fan. You're not, right? 
No, I, I used to play a lot of basketball, but I'm not I'm not too much into sports right now. I watch it though. Okay, so uh, mixed martial arts was like uh, there was uh, Fallon Fox. There was a famous case of Fallon Fox yeah, where yeah. it was a trans woman. And uh, first of all, uh, can I also just state over here the level of propaganda in the American right wing is just nauseating. Yeah. There <laughs> are Twitter handles. They are just openly lying about this Fallon Fox case. They, they are lying. They're stating wrong uh, uh, things and they're just muddying the water and they just confuse it even more for, you know, people like maybe you and I who are actually very sympathetic to the trans cause in many ways. Like, uh, you know, you feel bad for a person. Like, imagine being in a state of mind where you are born in what they think is a wrong body. It's a terrible thing to be in, in the mm -hmm. first place. And then there are these lies. But I want to talk about something very specific. So as of now, the sports world is literally split. And why I say they're split is, I think in the year 2020, the Rugby Association came up with clear policies. So just like you guys have American football, one of the versions is rugby, right? Where England, Australia, South Africa, and many other nations play rugby. So they came up with a, a trans policy and a DSD policy that uh, that was there. Then I think uh, the world at... Uh, World Aquatics also, formerly it was called FINA, that they mm -hmm. also came up with, with a policy. And then the World Athletics recently came with a policy. And, and I want to read their transgender and DSD regulations. Now, first, before I read that, what, like, can you explain what a DSD is to people? Because I don't think so. People even know what DSD is. Like Casa Semenya is, is a classic example. And and for Indians who don't know, Duti Chan would also come uh, as a classic yeah. case of that. Yeah, so DSD used to stand for Disorder of Sexual Development. And now they, they have a, a less offensive term because they don't want to call it a disorder. Now they just call it Differences of Sexual Development. Um, and it's a really broad category that's, any way that your sexual development sort of deviates from the the, the, the norm, basically. Um, so not all DSDs are intersex conditions. You know, an intersex condition has to be uh, a degree of sexual ambiguity. Um, most DSDs don't result in sexual ambiguity. They're just a difference. Like I mentioned earlier, hypospadias, if you, where your urethra doesn't quite, you know, make it to the tip of your penis, uh, that type of thing. Um, Castor, people like Castor Semenya, I would say they're closer to the definition of what it means to be intersex because they were sort of recorded the wrong sex at birth because of their, their condition made it so, uh, you know, she was born with what looked like a vagina, but, you know, uh, changes through time given their, their certain uh, condition. Um, so, yeah, so DSD is, is very, very broad. So, like, all intersex people have DSDs, but not all DSDs are intersex conditions. Um, that's kind of an important distinction there. So this is again a huge problem. Like how the hell does a sport body manage this? So in the case of world athletics, they, uh, I think that there is a particular word uh, that they use uh, nanomoles, right? So initially they had a threshold of 10 nanomoles per liter, if I remember correctly. Uh, for DSD athletes, but now the new policies, they say for DSD athletes, and I'm quoting the worldathletics.org, uh, they say 
the new regulations will require any relevant athletes to reduce their testosterone levels below a limit of 2.5 nanomoles per liter for a minimum of 24 months to compete internationally in the female category in any event, not just the events that were restricted 400 meters to one mile under the previous regulations. Now, the pushback to this that is coming from uh, the trans uh, community or the larger, uh, I don't know what community do I call them because everything I say is going to offend someone and I don't want to offend anyone. But from mm-hmm. the people opposed to the, the biological, uh, you know, sex is a biological binary uh, camp. So I'm going to see the people who oppose this idea. They say this is unfair. Uh, and then they quote studies, uh, which is, Honestly, it's such a dishonest way of presenting this case. But I don't know if you're aware of this. So they say testosterone has no effect. So this argument makes no sense. So how do you respond to that? (laughs) So, I mean, that's just completely false. Um, I know what studies they're pointing to when when they do that. And what they're doing is they're looking at the effects of sort of raising and lowering. Well, not actually raising and lowering, just natural levels of testosterone within males and the natural levels of testosterone within females. And when you look at just sort of the natural variation in testosterone levels within each sex by itself, you don't see a lot of effect of, of testosterone uh, on their athletic performance. But this is when you're looking at just males by themselves and then just females by themselves the degree of how much, uh, you know, the levels of testosterone doesn't really affect their performance that much, but the fatal flaw in doing that is they're, they're, they're looking at the groups in isolation. They're not comparing the groups because males have a whole hell of a lot more testosterone than females do. And so if you were actually to pool those two groups, throw males and females in them and then look at testosterone, well, then the, the, the causation is completely obvious. Males have 100 times even more, you know, much testosterone than females do. And that's directly correlated to their their athletic performance. Okay, this is, we see this when kids begin going through puberty, you know, early in their lifetime, boys and girls, you know, there is somewhat of a sex difference in their sports. Boys tend to outperform girls. Um, Right around puberty, uh, well, girls go through puberty first, so they actually sort of surpass males for a brief period of time in sort of their athletic ability. But then as soon as males start going through puberty, they just leave all females in the dust, you know, as a population. Their their testosterone, and that's directly related to when their testosterone starts spiking through puberty. Uh, And then that gap, that performance gap never closes. So um, it's absolutely not true that testosterone doesn't matter. This is why we ban performance enhancing drugs. This is why testosterone is a banned substance to use uh, in in any sport that you go to because it directly relates to, to your athletic performance or at least your strength levels. So yeah, that's just, it's just not true. They're just, they're, they're chopping up the distribution and they're looking at two populations in isolation where they really need to be comparing them. Now I've been following one specific person. Uh, I think he's based in South Africa. His name is Ross Tucker. And uh, yeah. I think his Twitter handle is the science of sport. A very interesting guy. I love his podcast. I'm even a Patreon supporter of the gentleman. Yeah, he's great. And he said, yeah. And he says there are now 17 longitudinal studies that categorically show um, that even if you don't consider testosterone, but muscle mass 
and other biological features where uh, you, especially in the case where you uh, basically are a, a born a biological male, and then you even if you go through these surgeries and testosterone reduction uh, as as a proper method, but they still carry some advantages if compared to uh, let's say you know biological women who are just born and raised in 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 a particular way now the the pushback to that is that those studies are not done on active trans athletes they're just done on trans women not it's just like your average person just living your life right those studies mm-hmm. are none of that so how do we answer to that question they're like you have to find the trans athlete then do a longitudinal study on that and then we'll accept it well, I think, you know, if we want to base on our, our policies, at least on prior knowledge that we have, we know that males and females differ in their athletic ability. The data that we do have suggests that trans women who suppress their testosterone, you know, they might not be elite athletes or anything like that, but that, you know, they still have the benefits of having gone through male puberty. There's plenty of things that testosterone will never, uh, that start lowering your testosterone levels after you've gone through puberty will never erase you don't get shorter. Your tendons don't get smaller. Uh, you know, your hands don't get smaller. Your, your, the way your body, your, your, your skeletal frame doesn't change. Um, these things aren't reversed with just lowering testosterone levels after you've already gone through male puberty and had your body go through these changes. So there's already a, just something, something that's permanent that can never be reversed. Um, so we don't even need to look at just physiology to see that not everything can be completely, uh, you know, brought back to you know, the levels before you went through puberty. Um, and so I think that if, you know, if we're going to talk about whether we should include males in female sports, the default assumption needs to be no, because we know that there is a big difference between males and females. Um, you know, to me, it's just like, show me that there is no advantage first, and then we can talk about <laughs> whether we should include them. That You don't include first when all the data suggests that this is a bad idea, uh, and then try to provide evidence suggesting that there there is the difference that we have all reason to believe does exist. So I just think the order is backwards. You know, the 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 default position should be exclusion until they can demonstrate that there is no advantage, not include them until we can demonstrate that there there is one. So that's how I'd respond to that one. That's actually very interesting because that's exactly how the World Athletic uh, uh, Athletic Organization has responded. So again, I'm going to quote them. So in, in, in terms of DSD regulations, World Athletics has more than 10 years of research and evidence of the physical advantages that these athletes bring to the female category, they're saying. However, there are currently no transgender athletes competing internationally in athletics and consequently no athletic specific evidence of the impact these athletes would have on the fairness of female competition in, in, in athletics. In these circumstances, the council decided to prioritize fairness and the integrity of female competition before inclusion. And then they have gone ahead and made a, a working group which is going to be headed by a trans person and they're going to uh, do a 12-member committee, as far as I remember correctly, that that's what they're going to formulate. And what they're going to say is, now this 12-member committee is going to look at the scientific data. They're going to look at the studies. They're going to look at multiple options. So they are coming in this. Now, what is the case of Leah Thomas then? 
the swimmer and who is uh, the this uh, person who has been viciously attacked riley gains if i am pronouncing her name yeah. correctly yeah so, so, so what's up with that scenario so riley gains is a or at least it was a former college swimmer um you know i don't know riley's history too much i know that she has come to sort of started speaking out against including males and female sports people like leah thomas um who's you know just won ncaa division one women's swimming and diving championship uh last year um so riley Gaines has been speaking about not including males and female sports because it's you know completely detrimental to the success and fairness of women and girls um she was recently speaking i think it was at the university of san francisco and she was sort of rushed on stage by, by a mob of of these gender activists um who chased her into a room and i think she was even punched once or twice in the face by one of them um so yeah it's getting a little nuts <laughs> in terms of active violence happening out because of the rhetoric around surrounding the whole you know if you, if you question the trans narrative in any degree you're committing trans genocide all this stuff and so therefore it's, it's perfectly re reasonable for them to respond to this genocide by punching somebody in their minds um so that's the Riley Gaines situation, as far as I know. I'm sure there's a lot more details than that. Uh, <laughs> and then you asked about Leah Thomas um, when I touched on. So Leah Thomas um, is a male athlete who is a swimmer. Um, when Leah competed as a male, I think Leah was ranked somewhere around, you know, 400th in the country in terms of, you know, their rank, their national rank. Um, Thomas then decided to transition uh, to appear as a female and take estrogen and things like that. Um, also decided to start competing in the women's category and shot up from 400th place in the men's category to the number one um, female athlete in the world, winning the in NCAA Division I women's, uh, I think it was the 400-yard uh, uh, swim. So... You know, take as what you will. <laughs> Leah Thomas, you know, you don't really shoot up in ranks that much if there's no, you know, benefit conferred by your your male advantage. And, you know, Leah Thomas is a six foot three man, essentially, who's uh, just competing against females and doesn't seem to think there's anything wrong with that and seems to think they're the one that's being oppressed. So uh, I think it's actually probably a good thing now, at least because it's gotten a lot of people to realize what's going on and see the absurdity of it. Um, and I think the faster that happens is the faster it'll go away. But right now there's a lot of women who are having their titles taken away from them because of Leah Thomas competing against them. So this is such a weird scenario because the IOC, the Olympics committee, right? They seem to be on completely on the side of uh, trans athletes, but now the world athletics, the swimmer, the swimming organization, and the rugby world mm -hmm. rugby. And I think even cycling is coming up with this policy, if I remember correctly. If I'm wrong, guys, please correct me in the comment section. But from what I understand, that look at you know what they come back with is the the Laurel Hubbard case. Well, they say you guys are making a mountain out of a molehill. Look, Laurel Humbert competed. She could not win. Uh, ergo, that means you guys don't have an argument. Yeah. I mean, this, this idea that because they don't always win, then they don't have an advantage 
is completely ridiculous. And I mean, let me just give you an example. If I started taking a bunch of testosterone, performance enhancing drugs, and I worked out for a year, and then I went and entered a, a, a powerlifting competition, I wouldn't win because there's a lot of guys who just have better genetics than me naturally who've been doing it longer, who could outcompete me um, in, in, in any sort of powerlifting competition there would be, you know, like genetics is a big factor. Uh, but would it still, just because I wouldn't win, would it be fair for me to compete as an athlete who's totally juiced up on testosterone, try, just trying to, you know, make myself even better and, and, and be able to compete more? Well, no, that's insane. Like we, we don't look at whether someone has an advantage based on whether they always win. The advantage and the unfairness is based on uh, whether the, something that they're doing to themselves, um, whether they would have not been as, uh, sorry, whether or not they would have been as competitive had they not taken that supplement or something. So it's bad for me to compete in a natural category if I'm taking testosterone if I don't win because I'm performing better than I would have otherwise, better than I would have if I had been, uh, you know, not taking performance enhancing drugs. And this is essentially what a trans athlete is, a trans woman who's competing in females. They have this advantage that's been conferred to them by going through male puberty. This is something that females just don't have access to. Um, and so that's why even if the male athlete is a terrible athlete and doesn't win, that's why they still don't have it's still not fair for them to compete because they'd be even worse if they didn't go through male puberty. Um, so it's it's that factor that's really the the, the key deciding point um, of whether or not it's fair, even if they don't win. Hope that makes sense. Probably could have articulated that better. So there was this uh, famous uh, clip. Do you remember? I think it was 2021 or 22. I don't remember the year. Even Ross Tucker spoke about it on his podcast where Sarah Silverman made that uh, famous quip about trans women in sports. And then she, uh, um, uh, it was basically the argument from emotion fallacy. Basically, it was making, making emotional arguments. And she said, well, there are tall women, there are short women. Isn't being tall an advantage? Colin, what do you do to that? How can you allow tall women in sports? Well, I mean, there is a, you know, a distribution, a continuous distribution of height, between males and females, you know, males tend to be taller than than females on average. Um, you know, this is an argument from overlap, saying that if you can find any degree of overlap between males and females, then there is no inherent advantage, uh, you know, conferred by that. Because, oh, you can find a, a female who's taller than some males. So height, you know, it's, it's, it's completely irrelevant as a factor that's um, you know, we wouldn't get rid of a female who happens to be seven feet tall. So why is it bad for a seven foot tall male athlete to compete in the NBA or in WNBA or something like that? Um, you know, this is, again, because males become taller when they go through male puberty. And so that's just an advantage that they have based on that. Um, and, you know, them, you know, th there's just like this, this sex difference that when you're looking around people sort of average people, you see a lot of females who are taller than some males. You see some females who are better athletes than some males. Um, and so it can sort of make you think that the sex differences aren't that great. But when we're talking about elite competition, elite sports, 
that's not the same thing. If you're talking about who are the top 0.01% athletes in this sport, in NBA basketball, in whatever sport it is, um, and you look at the sex differences in there, well, there's essentially no overlap in height and strength in any other sort of athletic metric that you want to investigate. Um, and so when you get to this level of elite sports, I mean, look at the NBA. It's not the MNBA. It's not the Ma Male Basketball Association. The, the NBA is open to any athlete of all sexes. If a female athlete were able to compete in the NBA, they'd sign them in a heartbeat. Why wouldn't they? It'd be more competitive if they were to find this amazing female athlete who could compete in the NBA. But the reason we don't see any women in the NBA is because when you get to that level of elite sport, there's just no females that can actually compete in that, in that category because it's so elite. So we can't confuse just sort of our everyday experience in the middle of the bell curve where, oh, my friend Becky, she's really uh, you know, athletic and she's tall and whatever, with the elite sports where the, there's this, this, this gap between the performance of males and females. The, there's really just, there's, there's, no, there's no overlap when you get to those levels of sport. Um, and, you know, sometimes when you get to sports where you have children playing, it's common to see uh, sort of males and females playing together. You know, you, you have co-ed leagues because, yeah, there really isn't a huge advantage. But that goes away quickly when you get to high school because that's when the sex differences really start taking off. So that's what I would say to that. Fair enough. Now, the, another set of arguments that are made in, in this entire debate is... Uh, Again, most of the arguments, unfortunately, are from emotion. And uh, like I personally find it very hard when people make emotional arguments because you feel bad replying to the person too, right? You, you don't feel good. You're like a bully. Past <laughs> yeah, you, you, you genuinely feel you are, you are bullying the other person because you kind of empathize. <laughs> Another sort of uh, conundrum that we have over here is that I don't know how to, how do we deal with the free rider problem in this too? Okay, let us say we accept it. Now, where are we going to draw the line? If, you know, if gender is the social construct, which actually I'm sympathetic to that argument in, in some way. But the point is, if I can identify as anything, then what if tomorrow somebody comes and pushes the line and says, why do I have to go through the entire surgical process? Why isn't, me just me merely identifying as a woman not good enough for you and if you don't support that you're a transphobe or you're a bigot or or something of that mm -hmm. sort like i i have heard people making arguments that like if you're if you are gay or something and you don't appreciate uh, a trans man or a trans and you're lesbian and you think a trans woman then also you're a transphobe. Like I have lost count of these arguments these days. Like how does one deal with an argument like this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's gone completely nuts. So, I mean, what you mentioned in the second half there was, it's pure, you know, rooted in gender ideology, which talks about whether you're a boy or a girl or a man or a woman depends entirely on how you identify and has nothing to do with your sex. And so they've actually redefined what it means to be gay or straight, they would say that someone who's gay is attracted to the same gender identity rather than the same sex. And so you can have, you know, if, if so by this definition, a lesbian is someone who's, you know, attracted to someone with the same gender identity. So if you have a female and a trans woman and a female doesn't want to 
be with a trans woman because they're biologically male, they would call that transphobic because, you know, that male is actually, is actually, well, female or a woman and the lesbians, you know, they're, they're attracted to women. And so the reason that you don't want to be with them is because, oh, because they're trans. So that's transphobic. Um, even though in reality, they don't want to be with them because they're male. And everyone knows that homosexuality, same sex, homosexual, <laughs> refers to your sex and not the way you identify. Um, yeah. What was the, what was the first thing uh, you mentioned about sports? But the, uh, basically, in evolutionary terms, what you guys call the free rider problem. How do we oh, deal yeah, with yeah. the free rider? Yeah, that's, that's a big, that is a big issue. Um, you know, people act like this will never happen, but especially with something with athletics, there's a lot of money to be made in this. And to be honest, you have a lot of the people who are, um, you know, in the trans community, there's high levels of mental illness in this community. Um, it is ripe for anyone who happens to want to be, you know, to, to a sociopath who is going to come along and say, oh, all I have to do is, is identify as this and they can't tell me no. And all the activists are doing as much as they can to remove all the barriers. They don't want there to be you know, the two and a half nanomoles per liter and this type of thing. They want it to just be self-ID across the board. Um, and so, yeah, the, if that happens, the free rider problem is definitely going to be an issue. It's probably an issue right now. Uh, and then female sports, as we know it, you know, it's not going to exist, or at least all the records are going to be set by people who are biologically male. You know, it's very funny. One of my female friends was telling me that eventually all oh, men even ruined for sports for us. I was like, how did we do it? It was like, well, eventually you guys did, right? Yeah. I had no yeah. comeback. I had no comeback to that. Yeah. And I mean, this, most of the bazaars too is that a lot of the people who are doing this call themselves feminists as well as they're destroying women's sports, something that, you know, they fought for uh, in order so women and girls could actually have a place to compete. Um yeah, it's it's completely upside down world now. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Another thing is, why uh, do people realize why it is about the protecting the sanctity of female sporters? Because we barely see a debate of a biological female transitioning to a biological male and trying to go and compete. It, shouldn't that be like a home run argument that don't you realize it's all in one direction, not in the other direction? But why is that not an issue? I mean, they're all they're all home run arguments. That's the thing. <laughs> is that like they, every argument that we have against this should just be the final nail in the coffin. Um, I mean, it's it really does highlight the fact that trans women who are male and have gone through male puberty have this advantage and why it's bad for them to be in female sports is because of the effects of male puberty they went through. Uh, because, you know, yeah, we, we're not worried about trans men competing in the men's category uh, because they're starting from a position of having a, a body that has, you know, all the, all the growth plates have fused, so they're not going to get taller. Um, you know, they're going to get some more muscle and, and, you know, things like that, but they're certainly not going to, you know, get that same advantage they would have had they gone through puberty uh, from a young age before all their uh, bones fused together. Um, people want to have advocated for maybe instead of calling it the male, the men's and women's leagues, call it the open category, which includes males and anyone who doesn't qualify for the female category. And then the female category, which, you know, just has their, you know, their trans inclusion policy, which I think should be just no, no one who's unambiguously male 
but they should have a DSD policy, you know, and then they need to make that honed into what's most fair for, you know, to preserve the safety and fairness of, of women's sports. Um, but yeah, I think the open category is probably the best idea. Um, there's one little wrinkle in the whole thing with allowing a trans man to compete against males is because they're taking exogenous testosterone. Um, and so they are sort of taking a performance enhancing drug that the men aren't allowed to take any sort of exogenous testosterone. I know there are some leagues that have exceptions if you're like on hormone replacement therapy. Uh, so, but, you know, that could be, that could be worked out potentially, but by and large, male sports has nothing to worry about for females who identify as males. Um, and that should be, you know, the slam dunk argument, as you said, but they're not really susceptible to, to reality-based arguments, I found. So basically, because whether, whether we like it or not, I know people like you and I, we feel bad. Like you genuinely feel bad in this scenario. Like, what do we do with the Castro Semenya? What's the fault of that person, right? The, the person has literally yeah. no fault. There Castro Semenya is, no is a victim of this whole yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't so, think uh, that Semenya should be able to compete in the female sports because her condition, five, uh, it's called 5ARD. You know, Castro was recorded as a female at birth um, because their condition makes it so that the genitals aren't formed. Um, but then when they start going through puberty, um, a lot of times they get a lot of that, that genital uh, starts to form. They have, they have testes that produce just as much testosterone as any male. Uh, Castor has clearly gone through male puberty. Uh, just listen to the way Castor speaks. Um, it's not Castor's fault <laughs> that this is, you know, a policy that they have. And people say, well, where's, where's Semenya supposed to compete now? You know, it's just an unfortunate case that, you know, Castro Semenya shouldn't be competing as a, in a female category because Castro Semenya is not biologically female. But that doesn't, you know, but nobody has the right to compete somewhere that they are competing in an elite level. Like, yeah, Castro Semenya wouldn't compete well against males, but neither would, neither would I, neither would a lot of other people. You know, I don't get to, I don't get access to the league that I'm most able to compete in. Uh, just because uh, that's what I had been doing before. If I'm, you know, if I happen to be miscategorized, so it's it's just a really unfortunate case for Castro Semenya that there probably isn't a league where, uh, you know, outside of the female league that Castro is going to be competitive in. But at the end of the day, it's just you know that's really tough. That's just kind of the way it has to be. We can't just leave female sports open to, to cater to the feelings of you know certain athletes because. That's just a really bad slippery slope. And, you know, if casters, if you let caster Semenya in, you extend the rules to make it so that, okay, caster Semenya can, can compete. Well, there's going to be another athlete tomorrow who's right outside that boundary who's going to say that, oh, these rules were clearly made, designed to keep me out. And then, you know, the, but I'm right on the border. So, okay, maybe we'll extend it out and just let them in because, you know, they're so close to the line anyway. And then there's going to be another person outside that. And then keep doing that enough times. And then you don't have a category anymore. It's just, you know, you've expanded it so much to include anyone who happens to fall outside your previous rules. So, you know, female sports need to have a rigid line in the sand. Here's what we have our DSD policy is. And it's unfortunate that some people who are, you know, going to be excluded based on that, who are very close to the line. 
uh, I know what I'm about to say is going to sound batshit crazy. So I'm myself, I'm aware of that. <laughs> I'm used to hearing batshit crazy. So, so you can't shock what me. If... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I can relate to that. So uh, <laughs> what if somebody came up with a proposal like, okay, let Castor compete. But let's say Castor wins the race. So Castor is whatever. And the other biological female who is number two will also be considered number one. So instead of having three winners, you'll have four winners. Because I, you know what? I genuinely feel bad for Castor because they lose a, the person loses an entire career. Like, what does the person do now? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I, I don't know if I'd be completely opposed to that. I would say that, you know, if I were the female athlete, you know, I'm still being beaten by some athlete and I'm, you know, everyone's, everyone saw me being beaten. I didn't come in first. I didn't go through the tape first and, you know, you know, Castor beat me out there, even though I'm getting the number one gold female one and Castor is getting some other award. You know, it's, it seems like it's not, I don't know, it's not the same ceremony if you have include some other athlete who's just beating everyone and, but over oh, at the very end, you're putting them in a separate category. Um, you know, at the end of the day, whatever, an organization chooses to do that's kind of what they have the right to choose to do um i think they should probably consult with a lot of the female athletes to see what they if they're all comfortable with something like that um but i'm i'm more sympathetic to just you know i'm sorry semenya but you're, you're just not allowed to compete in this sport and we're very we're very we're very sorry that um you know this is the situation but that's just that's just the way it is and Maybe Castor can get deals with, you know, Nike, maybe, the, you know, that type of stuff is, you know, as still as this person who had competed in the Olympics and all that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, can't compete as, as females. And I know because you got you to right have a tough level. Yeah. And it's not coming from a place of, you know, I'm not sympathetic to Castor's situation. You know, there's no hate there whatsoever. It's just you got to make a hard choice sometimes. And, you know, some people get caught up in it. Yeah, and because right now there is one Castro Semenya. What if there are five Castro Semenyas and all those five oh, are that, the that top happened. five? The Rio, was it the Rio 2016 Olympics? The top, the the bronze, silver, and gold. All were Castro Semenyas. All were people with that same condition. They all on the podium were biologically male. And that's a very, very rare condition. The chances that that would just happen by chance is just astronomically low. <laughs> so... Uh, there's clearly an advantage there and yeah, it needs to be nipped in the bud. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, before I start taking a few live viewer questions also, I think the only way to do this is what the world athletics forum or the rugby forum has done. They actually have made an argument of fairness for women. They're like the reason we created a biological women category at, at one point of time was because they just could not compete with men because of biological problems right the men are just stronger so if you want that to exist now that with science advancing and we find out these new anomalies that whatever the whatever the reasons may be the only way out is we keep on excluding these people while we work towards a system of maybe having a third category for maybe you know the trans women and uh, dsds competing together i guess that's the only way out yeah yeah i agree like or, you know, the, the open category versus female category. I'm open to third categories. 
you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm fine with any other arrangement except for, you know, female category needs to have needs to have its rigid boundaries. Um, because, you know, it just makes no sense to organize a sports category around your identity. You know, this would be like, you know, we don't have leagues and categories set aside for Republicans and Democrats or something like that in the U.S. because your political orientation has no bearing on your athletic ability. Uh, it's just a state of mind. It's a set of beliefs. It's that has nothing to do with your athletic ability. And um, so in my article, I mean, any, any policy needs to be rooted in properties of bodies. And the biggest factor that determines whether someone is more or less athletic is primarily sex and all the features that, you know, come downstream uh, as a result of your sex. Yeah, it's very interesting. So I'm going to start with the latest question and then go to the the last, uh, the earliest one. So somebody has asked, well, everybody's mad at America these days. Imagine the American wrestling team has all trans women and Iran has biological women. Why would any com a country compete with the Americans if the Americans keep doing this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've seen examples of other countries who've been fielding more and more trans athletes just because why not if this is the ioc is a permitting this yeah why not just have a whole team full of trans women just out competing everybody if if that's within the rules you're not breaking the rules then yeah it makes total sense <laughs> and i mean i'm i'm actually i'm here for it i want to see that happen because nothing would just make this end faster than an entire team from some country that's just you know women's team fielded by man males just sweeping the floor and taking gold. I mean, that would just, you know, it'd be, it'd be terrible for the athletes who are involved in there. But if you want to end this thing right now, you need to go full, full crazy. You just get it, get it out of your system. Let everyone see it for, for what it is. Hmm. All right. So somebody has shared a paper saying hormone level overlap between elite male and elite female athletes exist. They have shared a PubMed uh, link. Uh, how does the argument regarding overlap then hold and how hard cutoff for hormone levels work? Yeah, so the the overlap argument really is is it's just a fallacious argument saying that we can't say that there are differences between groups if there's any degree of overlap in something. It's just this common like tactic they use in queer theory where, you know, if, if there's any border that's a little fuzzy, then the border doesn't exist at all. The categories are completely socially constructed, um, et cetera. Um, so as far as I know, the, the policies that require uh, hormone levels um, to be tested for the female category, it doesn't apply to, to all female athletes. Like if it's only applies to a very specific number of intersex conditions uh, where they would have to bring down their testosterone. Like I think if you have just two X chromosomes, this doesn't apply to you whatsoever. Um, that you can have higher testosterone levels than that if you're just a woman who just naturally produces high testosterone. That's sort of what, if you, and if you read articles like from the New York Times and stuff about Castor Semenya, that's what they try to say. They don't actually say what Castor's condition is. They'll say, oh, Castor Semenya, she's a woman with naturally high testosterone. Well, why does Castor have naturally high testosterone? Because Castor has testes that are producing this high testosterone because Castor Semenya is biologically male, um, which is you know, not, not the same as a female who happens to produce a higher level of testosterone. So um, the cutoffs are only for, I think, for some trans policies if they want to have 
athletes that are uh, they want their levels to be at a certain level over time uh, for a certain amount of time. And then for certain uh, intersex conditions like castor seminia, I think it was required to bring um, testosterone levels below 2.5. Um, and it did, I, don't, I don't think this applies to conditions like complete androgen and sensitivity syndrome because they look 100% biologically female. Although they do have internal testes like castor semenia, their bodies are completely unresponsive to it. So they never go through male puberty. And even though if you test their blood, you might say like this person has the average testosterone levels of an average male, it doesn't actually give them an advantage because their bodies just are unresponsive. So I think there's an exception for them as well. Yeah, just for the principle of transparency, I'm just showing uh, the study uh, of uh, the person who has shared this. This is endocrine profiles in 693 elite athletes in the post-competition -com setting by ML Healy et al. And uh, I'm just sharing it with you. If uh, You can check it out later on if you wanted mm -hmm. to. Just wanted to share it with you. That's all. So this was the study. All right. All right. I'll go to the next question then. Um, all right. Then where, well, what do we do? Okay. So how is this not similar to, let's say, transracialism? This is a very interesting thing. Like what if, so I'll give you a tangible example now here. In cricket, let's say in South Africa, right? In South Africa, they have quotas inside the cricketing system where uh, uh, cricketers of African origin uh, are supposed to be there inside the playing 11 uh, all the time. And they select their players according to that. Now, what if somebody says, I identify as an African? Should that be allowed in sport too then? Because uh, apparently uh, gender is a social construct. Sex is a social construct. But race is not. Uh, and if I was to understand the science, race actually is a social construct in many ways, right? Yeah, they have a completely, <laughs> completely backwards because, you know, sex is is one of the most clearly observable categorical, uh, you know, uh, things in, in nature that we can point to. Nature rarely gives you such like an interesting binary like they have in sexes. Race, though, I mean, it's possible for people to be, you know, biracial or just a mix from, you know, it's, that's why we have things like 23andMe is because people are so interested in like what sort of mixture of gene, genes they have from around the planet from different cultures and different races. Um, because you can be half black, you can be a quarter black and whatever it is uh, in between, um, complex mixture of, of, of everything. So this is really about politics in the U.S. though, is that you know, being a certain race um, confers you a lot of sort of social benefits. We have like affirmative action and stuff like that. And so these things would break down if anyone can just identify into these oppressed, you know, categories. So there's a lot of incentives for the activists to keep race as like rigid and not based on identity as possible. Even though in Canada, you see a lot of job listings. They say, if you need to self-identify as, as indigenous, but if I showed up to the interview like I, I wouldn't get the job, <laughs> even if I put, you know, got the interview because I put indigenous on my, on my resume. Um, yeah, it's. Well, you're it's not as good insane. as Elizabeth Warren, Colin. <laughs> exactly. I'm not 0.01%. Um, you know, another thing was what I think is actually more relevant to sport, because I agree that like the transracialism stuff, it should make more sense than, uh, than, than uh, transgenderism identifying as the opposite sex. 
but every single argument that's used to argue for the fairness of trans women, males competing in female sports, the overlap argument, all that stuff, all those same arguments can be used to argue that adults should be able to compete in children's categories because there are some kids, there's some 14-year-old out there who's taller than I am. There's some kid out there who's stronger, who's better at basketball, who's all those things than me. There's a lot of overlap in all these traits. Why shouldn't I be able just to identify as a as a child and compete against kids? You know, there's overlap, but you don't hear activists arguing for that because they know how completely ridiculous it is, even though you know, it makes kind of more sense to identify as a as a younger age because we've all been younger ages. We all kind of remember what it was like to have been younger at one time and how we thought. And uh, whereas people have never been the opposite sex in their life. So um, yeah, I, I tend to do that sort of test whenever I hear someone make an argument for males and female sports. It's like, can this same argument be used to justify adults in children's sports? And almost always the answer is yes, this can be it's it's completely parallel. Um, and so flipping that script on them and saying like, well, then you would be okay if I competed in, you know, against your, your eight-year-old, <laughs> uh, you know, son's basketball competition, even though I'm 6'3". So I'd like to see what they say about that. So this is a very interesting question somebody has asked. Is this one of those rare moments in human history where social sciences has gone ahead or way too ahead of natural sciences because topics like these are remotely relevant uh, when we can transition. So basically, I think what they're saying is that maybe hard sciences should have basically been the defining factor of this. But because of, um, let's say, a social contagion effect that is kind of happening, that's another question that do you think a lot of this is a social contagion? Do we have studies to share that? So uh, the social contagion concept creep has become so much that it's basically going in every aspect of our life. Yeah, I think, well, a lot of the trans identities is definitely social contagion. At least it's a major part of it. Um, you know, I think, I think it's actually a mixture of a bunch of things. You know, the activists like to say it's just greater societal acceptance. Like, sure. I think that probably, you know, people are generally more accepting of gender nonconformity than they used to be. Um, with some notable exceptions, I suppose. Uh, but I think the social contagion aspect is huge because, you know, it's, it's, it spikes in young girls mostly who are a population known to be more susceptible to these sort of um, social contagions, especially about the body, you know, like eating disorders and, and, and cutting and things like that. Um, and, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, what was the, the first The part other part was... Uh... Uh, is this a rare moment in uh, human history where sports should that should be decided oh, by yeah. natural sciences is being decided by social sciences? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with like the seriousness and ease that you get sort of these degrees because a lot of scientists at least are less politically engaged, I think, than a lot of the social uh, scientists. I think if you look at the degree of, you know, how many people in the social sciences identify as just outward Marxists, it's, it's quite high, like some feels like 40% or more. Um, and then you have this thing where in the social sciences, the, the studies departments where like, they're not scientists, but they're sort of science studies where they, they study what scientists are doing in terms of uh, like their social uh, 
uh, aspects of their research, the influence of certain politics on or certain findings on society. And so they kind of have this idea in their minds that, you know, they're just above the scientists looking at them like they're studying the scientists like they're just super meta. And so they have this more insight than scientists don't even have about like what their research is doing. Um, and they tend to be the more activist oriented group here. And so they just sort of naturally find themselves in these positions of power uh, that are dictating policy. Uh, they're not really, really well trained. Otherwise, they probably would have been scientists instead of, you know, science studies people. Uh, and so they're they're not quantitatively gifted, even though you don't have to be gifted quantitatively to understand, you know, the overlap argument is completely wrong and my queer theory is, is uh, completely insane. So I think a lot of it is just, yeah, the politics involved. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big part of it. So on politics, I mean, sports is a global phenomenon. We still have the Olympics. Do you think because of the social contagion, eventually it might get defeated because countries like, say, Saudi Arabia, many other countries who may, may not agree with this for not honestly the same reasons. They may disagree for different reasons. Like, how are we going to solve the cultural clashes because of this? Because America is, uh, whether we like it or not, uh, the, the superimposer when it comes to mimetic uh, spreads. And, and this meme has clearly originated from America. I mean, it started in France, postmodernism, but then it's clearly the Americans really like French postmodernism and they have made it a thing. Now, Canada has uh, kind of uh, developed its own weird uh, thing. There was a, uh, uh, you know, Canada is on steroids uh, always when it comes to these kinds of subjects. But how do you, like, it's clearly unfair to many other countries in the world. So how are the Americans going to justify this? You know, it's that's actually interesting because you're not going to see them criticizing like these other cultures, like Saudi Arabia, because you know you you just it's just considered taboo uh, to to you know criticize another culture. It's all cultural relativism. So it'll actually be interesting to see how they uh, how they confront that when there's a lot of pushback at an international level from from countries where not everyone is white, or at least not you know they're mainly um, of a different uh, you know race. So, yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, there's a lot of people who are going to say that they're just being backwards about their attitudes towards, you know, trans people. Um, but I think there's actually a lot of commonality. I don't know if it'll work on the on sports, but at least in places like Iran or whatever, there's there is a tendency to take really effeminate gay men and sort of the state will will pay for their sex changes. And you get activists in the U.S. that are like saying, like, "Oh, look how progressive Iran is! They're they're paying for sex changes," but like they don't understand that this is just rooted in this extreme homophobia, homophobia where they'd rather like you have a sex change and be straight now than you persist as you know a, a, a effeminate effeminate male. So yeah, they got that completely wrong. So maybe I mean it could just be the case that these countries just you know, called America's bluff on it. And then, as we said earlier, just field an entire team of of trans <laughs> athletes who are just going to, you know, take gold. So it could go either way. I don't I don't actually know. Probably whatever is the most insane is like what's going to happen because that seems to be the, the path that we're on <laughs> now. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. 
Yeah, because if I look at this entire scenario, it is so messy. But like, uh, who was that uh, high school wrestler in Texas who was not allowed to um, transition? Because Texas has its own thing, right? So there's California on one end of the spectrum, and then there's Texas on the other end of the spectrum. Like, what do we do with young children then? Like, what if there are young trans children? How will so how will they compete in house how high school sports then? Yeah, I mean, I, I would. I push back on even like the term trans children because I think that's sort of a, it's giving too much credit to this this ideology because I would say that trans is something that to be a trans person is something that you do to your body you 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 have to be transitioning I don't think you can be trans just as a state of mind it be your being your identity um, when you call like a child a trans kid you're sort of like putting them in this other category of you know, you're a really special individual, you need this special treatment, you maybe need to have, you know, surgeries and drugs that are going to change you to make you match your, uh, to make your body match your brain, that type of thing. So I, I tend to just be really allergic to trans kids. And I, I would even say, you know, an adult can't be trans if they're just identifying as the opposite sex. Uh, I think for trans really to have any meaning, it needs to be talking about people like Blair White and Buck Angel, who have actually gone through and done a medical procedure to appear as much like the opposite sex. Um, anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I think about that. And again, what, what was the first part that you said? I'm having a hard time keeping track. No. So the, the case, I forgot the name of the, oh, the high the school Texas. wrestler in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So that was actually a weird case. If I remember correctly, that was a trans boy. What was the situation like? It was oh yeah. So this was yeah. I think that boy, was a so... trans male case where the the person wanted to compete with males but was not allowed yes, to because it was, was not a allowed biological to. female. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's insane. Um, I mean, you could go back further and just say like we probably shouldn't be transing children. I think that could that would solve that pretty quickly. Um, but then also the whole, you know, keeping the male category as an open category and the, the female category as the protected one, um, that would be better. Uh, that would make sure that that wouldn't happen, have the cutoffs there because, you know, this, this, this kid was taking testosterone. And so it's just clearly not fair for them to compete against, uh, against females. High school sports is really interesting and it tends to be sort of a more wild west where you have no restrictions on sort of like lowering testosterone or, or anything like that because uh, they see it as more like immoral to have uh, a requirement that a child is taking some sort of hormone suppressant or something. Um, so high schools usually tend to have just a complete self-ID rule where you can just completely identify into the opposite category without doing any sort of changes to your body. You don't have to lower testosterone or anything. We saw this in Connecticut with Andrea Yearwood and I can't remember the other athlete's name. Both boys both decided they were going to compete in the female category. They took, you know, gold and silver first and second. I think one of them broke the state record in their respective event the year that they competed, um, taking spots away for uh, college um, uh, scholarships as well. And I met actually the, the, the female athlete who came in third behind them. Uh, who was robbed of sort of their position, or I think they came in fourth and they would have placed second, you know, if they weren't allowed to compete. And so she had her 
you know, scholarships sort of taken away from her. So yeah, it's, it's just all insane. <laughs> you need to have, you need to have some rules, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just absolute basic. Like, I don't know how people can't, can't see this. This is not a good idea to have boys be able to just decide they want to compete in the female category. Makes no sense. Yeah. So before we wrap up, uh, so do you think this is the biggest threat female sport uh, sports has ever faced in their entire history? It took them a struggle to become a separate category. And now that they are a separate category again, the, do you think this is literally a bigger threat to them than what they faced before? This is my last question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a threat because if this is just normalized and this becomes the, you know, what the rules are, you, you just won't have female sports anymore. It's just going to be, all the records are going to be taken by by males who just identify, especially if there's no requirement for lowering testosterone. Um, but even if there is, I mean, there's still an advantage that's that's carried over. So it is a, a giant threat to, to women's sports. I mean, I've talked to some young female athletes who, you know, they're waking up every day at 5 a.m. They're going to training. You know, they're if, if you're, you know, if you're even a higher level athlete going to the Olympics, I mean, your training is just absolutely grueling and brutal just to maintain that level of elite athleticism. And then a lot of them have just said that, you know, they do all of this work so they could have a shot, but then they realize when they get to the, get to the field or the track or whatever, they see a male athlete there and they're just like, why do I even show up? Why am, why am I even waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning when there's absolutely nothing I can do? Like I'm working on shaving off a tenth of a second on my time where this person's going to beat me by a full second <laughs> because not because they're training harder, but because they just have this unfair advantage that, you know, because of their sex. So yeah, it's absolutely the biggest threat to female sports right now, um, at least since they've had female sports. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think it's gonna, it's gonna be solved because a lot of people are pissed off about this thing. There was a recent example of, uh, I think it was in, in cycling that there was this male cyclist who was identifying as a woman who was going to compete. And all the female athletes just sort of sent a letter saying we were going to boycott this event if you let this person compete. And so they immediately said, okay, like we'll get this person out. They're not competing anymore. It's really as simple as that. Like if, if female athletes just, you know, when the gun goes off, if they just stand up and walk away, like that's, it's over in an instant because yeah, they, they, they're in full control here. So they need to take, I think, control of their own sports too, because they could end it instantly. Yeah. Basically it's a, uh, what do I call it? Patriarchy via sleight of hand. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they're more conditioned too to be like the more accepting people too. Like you know, women are generally more, uh, you know, sort of more open and agreeable, and that's being taken advantage of by a lot of these athletes who are competing there. You know, they're they're just taught to be sort of silent and respectful, um, even when their sports are being taken over. All right. Colin, uh, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, anything uh, new, any new projects you're working on that you want to talk about before we wrap it up? So I think since I've talked to you last, I'm, I'm working with the Manhattan Institute now, um, part-time. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm working to make sort of a, a website for them that's going to be having sort of a lot of, you know, partly a glossary of terms for sex and gender, some parent guides that are going to be printable where people can sort of take this to understand 
you know, what is gender ideology? What is the biology of sex? Why is sex binary? Just these really simple explainers is to get people that they could bring to like a parent teacher meeting if they need to show up to protest the weird gender stuff being taught in their classrooms or pronouns and things like that. So that's in the works. Um, otherwise, I'm just writing on my Substack still. Uh, it's realitieslaststand.com. I post stuff there every week. So uh, if you want to like sort of learn about the, the biology of sex and uh, what activists do to try to muddy the waters, then it's a good place to to check out. It's got a lot of good content, not just by me, but other authors as well. Awesome. Awesome. So guys, we'll wrap it up. Uh, so to everybody who's listening to the audio only version, or if you're going to watch this later on on YouTube, uh, Colin's Twitter handle and his Substack link is going to be there in the description of the podcast. So I, I am a subscriber of his Substack. So I would recommend all of you to go and subscribe too. I, I, he's a wonderful writer and there are many other good writers who write on his Substack. So highly recommend you guys to go and check it out. And if you like what I'm doing over here, please support me too. Become a member of the Charbuck Podcast. Doesn't matter, YouTube, Patreon, Fanmo, wherever you are, or buy the merch, or... Uh, at- If you can't do that, at least like this video or leave a rating on the audio platforms. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.